good evening. Our first song tonight, 275. 275. Five hundred. Five hundred. After this song, we'll have our prayer and scripture reading. O thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy praise. Strings of mercy never ceasing call for song. Scripture reading tonight is from uh, Mark 14, verse 36. Mark 14, 36. It says, uh, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you for this day and just everything you've given us. And we're thankful for all of our families that are coming in and just help us have a good holiday season and put you first in everything that we do. And... Um, Please be with us as we go apart from here and just be a light to others and show your will in everything we do. And uh, 
most importantly, thank you for Jesus on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And please be with Chris and just uh, speak through him and help it uh, touch our hearts. And thank you for all the blessings that we have. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Number 138, 584 584 Good evening. I put my notes from this morning outside on the uh, four-year table uh, over there so if you uh, wanted those notes you're welcome to them. I know I ran through that pretty quick. We'll revisit some of that uh, but if you want the notes from this morning, they're there for you. So if this morning was um, a mile wide and an inch deep, tonight may be a mile deep and an inch wide. <laughs> tonight we're studying uh, one single word and the ramifications of that word in Scripture. Uh, I'm curious about this word because for my whole life I've heard Abba means daddy. And it's, it's a childlike affectionate term. Um, that Jesus used and the apostles used and that we should and can use uh, in, uh, in speaking to God. The only problem with that is I don't think that's what the text says. So here's the guy that came up with it, this, this uh, way of translating that word. His name is Joachim 
Jeremias, he's a German uh, Lutheran biblical scholar. So he's not a member of the church. Um, he comes at it from a different perspective. He's Lutheran. Um, but for all intents and purposes, this guy is um, knowledgeable. He is on par with some of the other Greek scholars um, that we would respect, Vines and Thayer and guys like that. He certainly has the chops, um, biblically speaking, the credentials to speak authoritatively on these type of matters. Here's what he says about this word, Abba. And he's the one that characterized uh, the modern-day pop culture understanding of, of this Greek word, Abba. He says, the chatter of a small child, a children's word used in everyday talk, and seemingly disrespectful, indeed unthinkable to the sensibilities of Jesus, Jesus' Jesus's contemporaries, to address God with this familiar word. So he stops short of saying that this is the equivalent to daddy, um, this, this childlike term that we would refer to our fathers as. He stops just short of that, obviously. Um, but subsequent scholars who studied this word and studied his work put two and two together, and it's really what he's saying. Later on in his life, toward the end of his life, he's going to recant this view. Um, he, he says he went too far, something like that. But um, So that's, that's the meaning, that, that's, that's what he says. The meaning of the word is, if you don't already have Blue Letter Bible app, uh, I would download that. That's really helpful, um, and, and you can use it. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to be able to, to use it, but this is what it looks like. When you draw up the text, you just tap on the word that you want to study. Now, in this case, Abba, we'll look at the, the three references in Scripture to it in just a second, but I kind of wanted to do some background work here real quick. Um, so let's walk through this uh, definition. And this is um, one of those other Greek scholars that is well-respected. He knows what he's talking about. And he's going to disagree with um, the Jeremiah's guy. So he says um, that Abba, if you look down into the Strong's definitions, it's a Chaldean word. So who are the Chaldeans? We, we kind of got to walk through some of that stuff, right? Remember I told you, it's a mile deep tonight. So who are the Chaldeans? Well, the Chaldeans are the Babylonians, basically. The Assyrians, Babylonian, that, that culture. Um, the Assyrians come along first. The Babylonians engulf their culture. Uh, and then on down the line. But the Chaldeans are that, that area um, of people, that culture. And so uh, this word comes out of their culture. It's not a Hebrew word. This is a Babylonian word, a Chaldean word. And so where did the Israelites come across this word? Well, they came across it during the exile. When they're in Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, this is a term that they begin to, to use there. Um, so 70 years later, after the exile ends, uh, they come back home speaking Aramaic, the, the normal language that they would speak in the New Testament, the language that Jesus spoke. Um, you see in 2 Kings 18, verse 26, when the king of Assyria sent envoys um, to Jerusalem, the plan is for him to attack Jerusalem and destroy it. And so he sends these, these couple of guys um, to demoralize the Israelite spirits. And so they, they talk trash, basically, we're, we're going to overthrow uh, Jerusalem, your God's not going to be able to protect you. We've conquered all these other gods, and here we are at your doorstep, and all this is going to happen. So what's interesting for us is in that, in that uh, section, in uh, 2 Kings 18, 26, in that section of Scripture, the Israelites say, hey, we understand Aramaic. We understand what you're saying, but the people on the walls don't. They speak Hebrew, and so stop speaking Hebrew because we don't want you talking to them, demoralizing them. Speak to us in Aramaic because we understand it. Fast forward 70 years, at the end of the exile, everybody's going to understand Aramaic. Everybody's going to speak Aramaic. It's kind of like the modern-day English. It's taken over the world. Um, so by the time the Jews leave Babylonian captivity, they're all speaking Aramaic. I think it's interesting, and it's, it's all... I really wanted to see from this part of the definition, the idea that Abba comes... Uh, from a sacred proper name is just an educated guess, really. Well, while it's possibly true, in my opinion, it doesn't really get to the, the reason Abba is always paired with Father. Notice that up there under the outline of biblical usage. Um, it's 
possibly a sacred name there in the second to last line. Who knows whether it really is? I don't think it really is, um, possibly, but maybe not. Uh, but I think that the term, the word, goes deeper than that, and it's, it's really kind of fantastic. Here's what I think it means. Father, and it's got an exclamation point on it. Abba is the exclamation point. Um, every time you're going to see this word in the New Testament, you see it three times. We'll talk about those in just a second. It's always paired with Father, Abba, Father. And then he goes on into the prayer, Abba, Father, and then on into the prayer. You're familiar with the Jewish way of emphasizing things, holy, 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 right? Um, in, uh, in John 21, Jesus asked Peter if he loves him three different times. This, I, this way of emphasizing things is this by, by repetition. It's a Hebrew thing. And so they do this um, occasionally to emphasize stuff. I think that's what's going on here with Abba. Um, it's when he's placing these two words that mean exactly the same thing back to back, one in Aramaic, one in Greek. The Abba serves as an exclamation point for, for Father. So let's dive into some of these texts. And let's give you kind of the background. This is the, uh, the verse Blake read for you. You're familiar with the context. Of course, it happens when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, he is in such incredible turmoil at this point in his life that his body is literally not functioning right. You are familiar with that, of course. And this is his prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's that exclamation point. He's, he's trying to get God's attention. I think that's what's going on. Um, not that God's not paying attention, of course, he's omnipresent. He's always everywhere. Um, but this is a very human moment for Jesus. And so his human side is a bit taken over here. And very much like us when we're hurting, what do we, what do, we do? We cry out to God. Are you even here? Are you, even, are you listening? Are you asleep? We do this, don't we? We see it repeatedly happen throughout the Psalms because they're humans. Let's look at a couple of those. Psalm 22 Grab your Bible and turn over to Psalm chapter 22. We'll look at a couple of passages from the Psalms where uh, the psalmists do this. They're going to beg for him to be close to them. Don't they know he's close to them? Well, of course they know that. In fact, they're going to say that throughout the, throughout the rest of these Psalms. Almost every time they question whether he's listening, whether he's good, whether he's there, whether he's betrayed them or not, almost every psalm they're going to say, but I know you're good, but I know you're there, I know you're working for me. They're always going to come back to that. So they know that he's there, that he's listening, that he's good. But it seems to be this human component of crying out when I'm hurting that, don't you even care? Don't, don't, aren't you paying attention? Because certainly if you paid attention, then I wouldn't be in this condition. Well, that's not exactly true. Psalm 22, verse 11. He says, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Look down in verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Isn't, isn't Yahweh right there? Well, of course he is, right? In the very next psalm, David, the same writer, is going to say, even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, you're what? You're with me. You're riding your staff. They're there. They comfort me. He knows God's with him. But it's this human component of crying out, I feel betrayed, I'm hurt, and it feels like you don't care. And so I think that's what's going on here when Jesus cries out, Abba, Father. It's this, it's this exclamation point. Abba is an exclamation point, trying to get God's attention. Um, the, uh, the linguistic term here is vocative. Abba is evocative. It's, it's, it's meant to attract Attention. Let's read a couple more. Psalm 38. Flip over there. I just want to show you how prevalent this is throughout Scripture. Lest you think that this is just a one-off. Many, many people, many, many biblical writers in Scripture do this. Psalm 38, verse 21. He says, Do not forsake me, O Lord, my, O my God, be not far from me. This, this idea of God's distance keeps coming up, especially in the Psalms. Um, and they're crying out, pleading with him to be close. Do they know he's close? They know he's close. 
Like we said earlier, in the psalm, in this exact psalm, they're going to be reminded and, and articulate that he's there, that he's powerful, that he's working for them, that he's good. They know he's close, but they're hurting. And so they cry out. It's almost like a, um, a knee-jerk reaction. We talked this morning about touching a hot, uh, a hot stove. If you touch a hot surface, what do you, you jerk your hand back immediately, don't you? It's, just, it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's, it's what you do. This, when we hurt, what we do apparently is cry out and question whether God's there. Let me give you a couple more. Psalm 71. It's verse 12 there. Psalm 71, verse 12. He says, Oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. He's calling God to his side. It's exactly what Jesus is doing in Mark 14, 36. He's calling God to his aid. He needs him. He needs him to be very close to him. He feels at this moment far away. He knows that's not the reality. He knows the Father's close. But that's not how it feels, right? Psalms are good at helping us understand our emotions. This is how it feels. It's not reality, but this is what I'm feeling. I think that's what Jesus is doing here in Mark 14. It's when he cries out, Abba, Father. He's, he's shouting, Father, are you, are you there? Are you listening? I'm hurting. I know all things are possible for you. Take this away from me, but if this is the only way, then... This is what we do. Here's the other one. Romans chapter 8. Uh, there's, like I said, there's three, right? This is the second instance in Scripture where uh, a biblical writer will use this, this term, Abba. And it's on Paul's pen this time. He says in Romans 8 verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What does slavery breed? Have you ever thought about it for a second? What does slavery breed? We've been talking in our, in our Bible class on Sunday mornings in here about the Exodus. And we found out that that generation that grew up in slavery, they couldn't get out of it. They were, they were always afraid. Whether they were still enslaved or whether they were free, fear had, had done its deal with them. It had worked its work with them. Um, slavery breeds fear, but adoption breeds boldness. And Paul's playing with those that, that dichotomy, um, that, that difference in thought. He, he's trying to draw that out. Because you were once slaves to sin, and all you had to hope for was, was fear, was hell. That was all you had, just a certain expectation of judgment. But he says, now that God's adopted you, you can be bold. You should be bold. You see that with children, right? When, you, when they feel comfortable, when they're uh, a part of your family, when you've ingrained them into your family after adoption, they become comfortable and they can be bold, just like natural-born children into that family. So Paul says here, Father, since we've been adopted, we have the right more clearly here, we have the expectation of his full attention. That's what sons and daughters get of their father, right? They get his full and his undivided attention. If you, you've done this, I guarantee it because I've seen some of you do it. If you're standing in the grocery store, say you're in Walmart, it's packed, and some little kid yells, Daddy, Dad, what do you do? I do it too. My kids aren't even in the store. <laughs> and I do it, and I'm like, well... It's not my kid. What am I doing? And I kind of pay attention for a second, and then what do you do? You just turn right back around and mind your own business unless something terrible or crazy is happening over there, right? It's not, it's not nothing's going on over there. But what happens if you see one of your kids and that, that word is on their lips? What do you have then? You have my full and undivided attention. If you're crying out for me, if one of my kids cries out for me, you've got my full and undivided attention. I'm watching you. Now, if it's somebody else's kid, that's a different matter. Somebody else can deal with that. <laughs> I've got my own problems. Somebody else can deal with that. 
So I, I kind of notice, I glance over there, but that, that's, not my, that's not my son or my daughter. God's doing the exact same thing here. Paul's saying that we have the exact same hope here. As children who have been adopted into his family, you've got the exact same rights as Jesus does. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Groundbreaking, you might say. We have the expectation of his full attention. Satan, our great accuser, is always bringing up our guilt. God, our great adoptive father, says those debts were canceled the moment he adopted us. Our family name changed along with everything we've ever wanted. All of our priority, priorities are different now. That, that's what Paul's trying to get across here in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Satan says, remember all that guilt? Remember all the sins you did and how you go back to them so easily? And Jesus says... You've got an advocate with the Father. You're a natural-born child now. You cry out to God. You try, cry out to your Father. You can cry out Abba. It doesn't mean Daddy. It means something so much, so much better. It means I have His full attention. I can and should cry out Abba. But it doesn't mean Daddy. It means I've got the Father's undivided attention, just like one of your kids when they cry out, Dad! Mom! What do you do? Yep. What's up? They have your undivided attention, don't they? He's saying the exact same thing here in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this last text. It's in Galatians 4. This is the third and final time when Abba is used uh, in the New Testament. So he says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He's, he's talking along the same lines here. You, know, you notice the adoption theme again here. That's the pivotal component that's necessary for us to be able to cry out, Abba. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, if we're not a part of his family, if you're not inside of Christ, you don't have this right. This is only for adopted children. The only natural born son he had is Jesus. If you're not natural born and if you're not adopted, you don't have this right. This is only for Christians. You might also notice here, and if you're underlining in your text, if you like to, to note things like that in your, in your copy of the Bible, you might want to underline crying. That's a word you've seen in the last verse, and you see it throughout the, throughout the uh, scriptures. It's used 59 times to be exact, and it's, it's actually used, let me give you a couple of examples. It's used for the loud voice that the demons spoke to Jesus with in Matthew 8, verse 29. It's used when talking about how the two blind guys were yelling, at, <coughs> excuse me, were yelling at Jesus to have mercy on them in Matthew nine twenty seven. It's used of the disciples' screams when they were uh, when they see Jesus walking on the water and mistaken for a ghost. It's even used of the crowds yelling to crucify Jesus in Matthew twenty seven verse twenty three. It's also used when Jesus yells out right before his own death in Matthew twenty seven verse fifty. This crying is a shout. It's loud. You're supposed to hear reverberations. This is noisy, right? This shout. But it's not us shouting, is it? You go back and read the text. It's the Spirit shouting into our hearts. So what is the Spirit shouting into our hearts? By nature of our adoption as God's sons and daughters, we now have the right to call his full attention to our problems. And this verse is saying that the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he's reminding us of that blessing. You've been adopted now. You're special. You're significant to God. You've got his full attention. You cry out to him and he listens. He hears. You may not think he hears. Some of the psalmists didn't think he, they, that, that they had his full attention. They did. So if you're hurting and you're crying out, Abba, Father, that's a perfectly acceptable and right thing to cry out. It's what we do in our pain. We want His full and undivided attention. And thanks to the verse, these three verses, we know we have it. Just like Jesus had it in the garden. He doesn't an always answer yes. But there's comfort in knowing that we have His full and undivided attention, isn't there? 
You'll see that with your own kids, right? When they want something so bad and they're pleading with you, and you just kind of brush them off and don't pay attention, what does that do? It kind of breeds some stuff that probably shouldn't be bred, right? Some emotions and feelings in them of insufficiency and all those kinds of things. But if instead you focus and you listen to them and you still say no, there's a difference there, isn't there? He hears. And the right that we have as his adoptive children is his full attention. Abba doesn't mean daddy. It means something much more powerful. It means father. It, it's evocative. It's, it's an exclamation point. I'm struggling here and I need you to see my knee and intercept in such a way as to help me. I already, God says, I already see your need. And I've already got plans in place to rectify your problems, to meet your needs. And so when Hebrews 4, 16 says that we should come boldly before his throne, now you get a sense of what that boldness looks like. You come like a child, like one of your children would come to you and say, hey, I need this. They're comfortable around you. They know that you can help, and they know that you're good, and they, so they come. And they ask for whatever they want. Um, we were driving back from one of Titus's races a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we passed this junkyard. He's really into fixing stuff. I don't know if you guys knew that, but he really likes um, tinkering with things. And so he asked me to buy him about 26 acres worth of junkyard. <laughs> I said, well, we're going to think about that one. You know, but like, he comes boldly with these wild needs. Beginning to get an impression of how boldly we should come before the Father. Hebrews 4.16 says we can and should come boldly. These verses where we're told to cry out, Abba, because of our adoption, we have his undivided attention. I promised you this morning that we were going to talk about Revelation. So be turning to Revelation chapter 8. This is one of my favorite sections in Revelation. I think it's powerful. I think you need to hear it. I think we need to live by it. Revelation chapter 8. At some point, we're going to go through Revelation, maybe next year, I don't know. But in, in chapter 7, he's been talking about the ones, the Christians, those who are saved. He phrases it, the 144,000, they've been sealed, um, they're, they're, they're safe. Um, starting in verse 9, in Revelation 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So that's, that's kind of what's going on in heaven at this point um, in Revelation. It's complicated, but... Let's start in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. He says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Revelation is never meant to be read literally, right? So there's not literally a trumpet. There's not literally a seventh seal. Um, there's not literally a half an hour of silence. All this is metaphorical, symbolic, figurative. Um, so... What's really going on here? Keep, keep reading. Verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. Now that's interesting. You need to underline altar and, and that it's golden. That, that These are interesting because the last time that we saw the golden altar, do you remember who was on it in Revelation 6? Um, the ones that have been sacrificed the Christians that have given, willingly given their lives over to Christ, who have been martyred for His purposes, they're the ones who are on the altar. Metaphorically, having sacrificed their lives, having, having put their lives on the altar, they've given their lives to Him. You understand the symbology here. Um, now, that altar's come back up. So, there's a connection here between them and... Uh, between the, the, the saints and this altar, 
what's, what else is going on. Keep reading. And another angel in verse 3 came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. You can stop right there for a second. We'll get to the verse 5 in a second. But what's, what's going on here? The picture behind me portrays it well. So picture these, this smoke billowing up to heaven. And it's a sacrifice, so it's headed straight for God. But the prayers of these saints that are still on earth that are terrified that someone's going to knock down their door and demand to know that, if, that they're a Christian. And when they say that they are, they're going to be killed and their families are going to be separated and terrible things are about to happen. Those people are praying on earth. And their prayers, symbolically, metaphorically, figuratively here in Revelation, are being transported up to God with this, this smoke of incense. It's a sacrifice, right? So he's hearing their prayers. And what happens when they pray? Silence in heaven for about half an hour. Did you get it? What's heaven like? We didn't talk about that aspect of it this morning, but heaven's noisy. Um, there's all kinds of things going on in heaven. There's John portrays uh, thunderings, uh, so it's, it's auditorily loud. Um, visually, there's lightnings, and, and there's all kinds of things happening. Um, John is so uh, disoriented. At one point, he tries to worship an angel, um, you know, like, so there, there's a lot of things going on in heaven and there's a lot of noise going on in heaven. And so when his people pray to him, God says, shh, and heaven quiets so he can listen, so he can, so he can give you his full attention. He wants to hear every syllable, every consonant. Every intonation, everything matters. He's completely and undivided. His attention's all on you. I think that's really, really powerful. Really something that we need to think through um, as we pray. And it's a, a promise of the power that we have in prayer that is sometimes unaccessed. Sometimes when we pray, it's we don't always think of having God's full and undivided attention, but if we did, what would you do with it? If you had God's full and undivided attention, what would you do with it? Pour out your heart to Him, right? Bring every need and every want boldly before his throne. I need this. I, I, I want this. And if you're praying within his will, he'll give it to you. And if you're not, he's not going to give it to you. He's not going to give you bad things. He's not going to give you things that are going to hurt you in the long run, right? And so sometimes when we pray for things, we think, well, that may not be, that may not be a good idea. <laughs> you know, it's what I think I want, but maybe, maybe it's not what's good for me. He's not going to give you that thing. So you don't have to worry about it. You pray Boldly come to him as much as you can with as much forethought and as much passion as you can and knowing that you have his full and undivided attention. And you can cry out, Abba, Father, just like Jesus did, just like Paul does, um, just like we're promised in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4 because we've been adopted. Now, we have the exact same rights as natural-born children into the family. So we have the right of his undivided and full attention. This evening, if you've not been baptized into Christ, this right is not yours. This is only for ones that have been adopted into God's family. Fortunately for us, this adoption is something that you can start because he started it in the beginning by offering himself on the cross for our sins. So tonight, all you have to do to get into this family, to have this right to be yours, is to be immersed into Christ, to have your sins washed away.
Maybe you've already made that decision tonight and you're struggling. We want to pray for you to invite God's undivided attention to fall on you so that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Good evening, church family. Hope everyone is doing all right this this evening. Um, as a uh, we had our special needs contribution uh, this morning, um, uh, you're still if you did not have an opportunity to make the special needs contribution, you still do that to see John. Um, but our special needs contribution this morning was um, uh, eighteen thousand eight hundred dollars and five cents. That's what John said. Five cents. So I don't know where five cents came from, but. Thank you, but uh, that's, that's great. But um, so that's great. I know the church will do great things with that. Um, so remember to continue to keep uh, church funds in our prayers. Um, there's also a deacons meeting uh, after services tonight. Um, with that meet, we meet with the elders. Also, uh, remember that this uh, Wednesday is devotional only, no Bible class at 7. Um, also, this coming Saturday will be Andrew and Savannah's wedding shower uh, at 11 o'clock. Um, also, uh, the teen, December 3rd is the teen holiday gift exchange at the Williams House. 
Um, this evening, there's a teen devotional at Sherry Pittman's house. There will be a bonfire and hot dog roast and s'mores. It's all high school and middle school kids uh, for that uh, devotional. Also, new quarter starts December 3rd. Um, we're still needing teachers. We need teachers for pre-K on Sunday morning and Wednesday, and also first and fourth grade on Wednesday. If you can help out with that, please see Jeremy and Connie. Um, also, we're having uh, Wishon will be hosting Young at Heart on December 12th at 10:30. Um, so please put that in your calendars. Also, um, no potluck in the month of November. Uh, there will be no one o'clock service. There will be six o'clock service. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep uh, Jimmy Wilgus and Jim Haney and Jim Martin and Chuck Davidson and Jackie Hutchison and Gloria Faulkner in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatment. Keep Carolyn O'Lynn in your prayers as well as she's uh, still at Ironton. Um, keep Friday Simpson in your prayers as well. Um, I, uh, I heard that uh, there's been a lot of questions about Friday. Uh, she does not have cancer. Um, a lot of people are assuming that she does because she's had cancer in the past. Um, she's having some lung issues uh, from her cancer treatment that she had years ago. So she's having infusions, and infusions seem to be working pretty good, making her feel better, but she still needs prayers. So remember to continue to keep Friday Simpson in your prayers. Uh, remember to continue to keep Terrell Spitzer in your prayers, Trey Davis and uh, the Davis family. And also keep uh, Beverly Edwards in your prayers and keep uh, Bob Mayo's sister, uh, Misty, in your prayers as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. For our closing song tonight, let's sing What a Day That Will Be. <clears throat> There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day. opportunity to come here and sing praises to you and learn more about your word. Thank you for Chris and his lesson tonight and let us take it throughout the rest of the week and be an example to others. 
Lord, be with those who are traveling this week for Thanksgiving and those who are coming in town and just watch over them. Be with those who are on our prayer list and put your healing hand on them, Lord. Most importantly, thank you for your son and his death on the cross for our sins. Christ and I pray. Amen.